Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast, brought to you by Emory's Marketing Analytics Center. My name is Mike Lewis, and I'm joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you, Doug? I'm doing well, Mike. I enjoyed the NFL draft and game one of Warriors-Lakers last night, so can't complain over here. As a Georgia guy, I got to say... I might have become an Eagles guy this last week, which is crazy because I'm a Giants fan and the Eagles and Giants are rivals and the Eagles have so many seasons for us. But here we are. The other Pennsylvania team showed a little love to the boys. Yeah, from Athens. That's right. That's right. Yeah, your Steelers. OK, so the, the NFL draft ratings are up about, I think, 20 percent from last year. So talking about, wow. I think, six or seven, six or seven million people watching that. Now, I am. Um, yeah. I think we're seeing a general rebound in sports. I think the ratings continue to build since whatever it was that COVID did to sports fandom and sort of knocked it around a little bit. The yeah. recovery very slow. It'll be interesting to see where it, in fact, gets to. Doug, what I wrote down about the NFL draft, though, and you're too young for this, but in the, around the year 2000, there was a documentary called The Merchants of Cool. So the, the point they were making in The Merchants of Cool was that very often you see kind of these organic phenomena arise. Something yeah. is kind of cool. A subculture builds around that. It then becomes sort of blown up into the mass market and then it dies. And so as I'm watching the NFL draft, all I could think of was watching this 20 years ago. It was so, in a way it was so different, right? It was like, what well, is this weird guy that Mel <laughs> Kuyper Jr. that absolutely fixated on, on on scouting thousands of players and doing right. these all these kind of web pages related to this stuff. And, and then as I'm watching, I'm like, why are they all hugging Goodell? Right. And so hey, it seemed Goodell to me that like it was japping up. He had like a secret handshake with some of those guys, Jalen Carter being one of them. But it just seems like it's it is now. I mean, again, that number of six or six and a half million people, that is as well as any playoff game is going to do. I think it was just short of the, I think the only NBA playoff series that did better in the ratings than that was Golden State, the first game of the Golden State series against Sacramento, actually. And Doug, just as a, I mean, because you're a music guy, the example that they would talk about in Merchants of Cool, or one of their primary examples, was the Insane Clown Posse. Do you know them? Oh, yeah. It's funny you bring that up. One of my professors at Georgia he had like a fixation on the insane cloud posse and he used them as an example. So there's something about professors and the insane cloud posse. I think that's their niche audience. I think it's the professors. 
what they the cool professors. It was the because they had such a such a wealth community around them, right? They would li- literally travel to see these guys perform. They would drink Fago, Red Pop. I mean, I, I don't know what it was about, but the band that they sort of said that the major media companies created to sort of capture the the mood and the style of the Insane Clown Posse was Limp Bizkit. Yeah. And, yeah. and Limp Bizkit was enormous for a couple of years and then just yeah. poof. And so the theme that I'm getting at is something we talk a lot about, right? So fandom is something that's kind of it belongs to a group of people. Like it's a subculture when it starts to belong to everyone, when it gets too big, it becomes a little less cool, right? A little less interesting to let's say the hardcore people that, that build it up. I I think that's why you've always had the fans who are, I was a fan of before they were big. I was a fan of Taylor Swift when she was in middle school and she was just singing in my high school dance or whatever. Like those fans that are like kind of past it now. My favorite Taylor Swift song is, Absolutely. That one where she just goes, why you got to be so mean? Why, yeah. Why do you got to be so mean, Mike? I think that needs its own separate episode, the T-Swift fandom, because I don't know if you've been on social media lately, but that's like the event. Every city that I know a person she's going to and every girl I've ever known is at that show at least once and like posting about it constantly. And it's like and it's have, an amazing fandom. You have to wear a dress that matches one of the albums. Yeah. See, you. It's amazing fandom. It's it's an amazing fandom. I don't know if I've seen as much passion from any sports franchise in recent weeks, including the draft, including the NBA playoffs, as I have with with her fandom. So shout out to her and her marketing team for for building that up over the years. But yeah, so I, I do, Mike. Before the draft, we kind of predicted. I say we. It was really you. We were kind of expecting Anthony Richardson to maybe be one of the guys that fell. I thought it might be Jalen Carter, which wasn't. I mean, he fell a little bit, but not really. Ended up being Will Levis, our guy, uh, your guy, Mike. Big Will Levis, guy who eats the banana with the peel, falling through the first round. And I don't know if you noticed, Mike, I think there was a different girl next to him on like three different occasions when they cut back to him. Is this guy like, is he a legend in the making? I don't know how much of that was family members or not, but it's fun to imagine that it wasn't. He's like a real life Bruce Wayne coming in to play quarterback in the NFL. I'm rooting for him, right? I mean, it doesn't take, <laughs> it doesn't take much to get me on a player's side. And Will Levis, I, had, I kind of thought he was a goof early on. With, but, you know, it all worked out. I became something of a fan. Now, here, let's go back to what I said. It's like this idea of these forced moments in the draft. Full-on conspiracy theory, Doug. I'm going to drop it on you. ESPN (laughs) wants to have a guy every year looking disappointed as the draft unfolds. I think they picked Will. Will Levis was almost perfectly positioned to do the in the coffee. And again, when the women started showing up and they were like filtering in and out, I almost want to say maybe someone at ESPN put out that rumor on Reddit oh, yeah. that thought he was going to be drafted first overall. It's almost like ESPN has this every year now in the draft. It's like tailor-made subplot of, oh, let's go back to Will Levis. Well, if I mean, if you go back, I mean, I know two years ago there was a time where it was like, is Will Levis going to be the number one pick in two years? But he kind of fell back. And I don't think during the season that was ever really a consideration or a conversation that was being had. It was like, this guy might be a first-round pick. He might be someone's franchise quarterback. Who knows? But it was more of like a Kenny Pickett situation than 
a Cam Newton situation where it's like, okay, this guy's like legitimately in consideration for first round pick during the season while he's actually playing. And so all of that now in retrospect does seem totally fabricated because it's like, were any NFL teams coming out and saying that? Or was that pure speculation on behalf of media entities who it helps drive ratings to see a guy and feel like, oh, they're falling. This guy was supposed to go in the top five and now he's dropped out of the top 10. How far will he fall? And that was Will Levis this year. I mean, I remember Brady Quinn kind of being the classic example. Lamar Jackson was another really noteworthy one and one that, of course, made a lot of teams pay for it. And so, and now it sets up a whole new story of can Will Levis, every team in the NFL passed on Will Levis every, and now it's a revenge tour for him. Starting with that video of when, as soon as he got drafted, he looked like me watching a Georgia game. The amount of passion and enthusiasm I was, that's when he got me. I was like, all right, I'm on board. I'm, <laughs> I'm on board. Will the Will Levis train. Unfortunately, he went to the Titans, right? Mike. And yeah, the Mike, player comparison for will levis is actually the titans quarterback (laughs) so (laughs) i that's who i felt like i could see him having a career like that guy and it's of course the titans fans want something more than that so i don't know but you know i think the comparison you'll see of like upside is always josh allen because he's physically kind of similar yeah i would love it if he had a josh allen career isn't it remarkable how different getting picked one position earlier would have been, right? I mean, just being a yeah. first-rounder versus a second-round yeah. totally changes the dynamic and the expectations of his career. I mean, I, I think that's true with like Jalen Hurts as well, yeah. right? When you're in the second round, you're not supposed to be that – you're not supposed – you're an underdog for the rest of your career. Look, Doug, I'll also go back to these – to the three quarterbacks that were drafted early. How many of them are going to be busts? And this is nothing related to any of them specifically, but you have three quarterbacks drafted in the top four or top five, top four. Inevitably, I mean, it's almost like there should be a betting line of how many are going to be busts, right? It, what's the over under? I mean, it's probably two, maybe all three. Yeah, I was going to say it'd be more shocking if one of them was a boon the way yeah. it goes nowadays. And so, all. Number one was too small. Number two had some questionable issues in terms of some test he took and maybe blowing off the Mannings. And number three had no real kind of history of success in, in Florida. Yeah. I mean, I guess where I come back is, like, you know, so I think the NFL tends to, they all, this happens every year, right? There's this like herd mentality of you got to get these quarterbacks. But I think in general, the, the casual fan would be shocked if all three of these guys have pro bowl like careers if right. it's like a roethlisberger philip rivers eli manning, manning. yes yeah. that's probably the best class in recent memory which is crazy because i mean none of those guys they're all great none of those guys are tom brady or aaron Rodgers. Yeah. none of them had that kind of career statistically philip rivers and eli both had years where they're top five i think statistically and of course ben roethlisberger and ben and eli both won multiple super bowls so you know, any draft that has multiple quarterbacks winning multiple Super Bowls, that is a anomaly. <laughs> and so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But, man, you know what's interesting to me? Kind of piggybacking on what you were saying with these quarterbacks, it's like the position is, I'm not going to say overvalued, but it's so valuable in the eyes of fans and of teams that taking a guy who's like 
that is probably going to bust. Like, I think most people would say Will Levis or Anthony Richardson are likely to bust. But the fan base is way more enthused than, say, the Falcons taking a running back in the top 10 who is almost a guarantee to be like Pro Bowl caliber his rookie year. Because running backs, any running back that goes in the first round is just about a guarantee to be one of the top guys in the league the first couple of years. I mean, historically and, and traditionally, we've seen Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and all these guys. I mean, even Nick Chubb was a second rounder. But those kind of day one, Derrick Henry, the, those day one running backs tend to light it up right out the gate, instant contributor, instantly make the offense more dynamic. And the downer on them is that the average NFL lifespan for a running back is like three years. <laughs> You're not getting a franchise player in the sense that this is a guy that's going to be on your team for the next 10 to 15 years, helping you in a way that a quarterback can. But they've got a much higher floor, lower ceiling as far as long-term contributions to quarterbacks. But fans do not like that. I remember when the Giants got Saquon Barkley, people were mad that the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley over Sam Darnold. Saquon Barkley has been like an MVP-level player at times in the years that he's been healthy. And Sam Darnold has never been a good starting quarterback, but it was still graded out. And I think there's still people that will look at that draft and say the Giants should have traded that pick because somebody overvalued the quarterback enough to give up a lot of assets for it. It was a waste to take Saquon Barkley. I think that's the situation this year with looking at the Falcons, for example, taking a running back who, by all... I mean, anyone who's watched him play would say he's NFL ready. He's a day one starter. No doubt at all. Fans would rather see their team take a gamble on an Anthony Richardson. Not saying that the Falcons, he wasn't even on the board for them. But if he were on the board, that would have been viewed as a huge miss for the Falcons. And I think there's two sides to that. And I don't think the I don't think enough people understand the importance of bringing in a guy that, you know, is going to succeed early on. And the value in that, I think that gets overlooked in the draft nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's I, look. I'm I got mixed feelings on the whole thing as well, right? I mean, I think the NFL does a, and I'm not going to make any claims that anyone could do it better. I mean, I think that there's just not enough information to really accurately predict NFL success based on yeah. collegiate performance, and so you see an enormous number of guys that are. Bus. I don't know if it's a if it's a higher percentage than you see if you look at let's say safeties or wide receivers or offensive tackles, <clears throat> but it does strike me as a very risky proposition. the The other side of it is, of course, the NFL salary market does not make any sense. Something needs to. It's a very curious market, right? You look at the top paid guys, and at any moment, the top paid guys barely resemble the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. But that being said, that quarterback position really does dictate success. And so if a fan, if the only way a fan is happy, Doug, as a Georgia guy, are you happy when you win, when you don't make the college football playoff and you win the sugar bowl? No, no. <laughs> so, so, so it, it really is kind of this all or nothing deal. And I mean, so this brings up along with the NFL draft, we finally saw movement with Lamar Jackson and, yep. and, Aaron Rodgers. And it goes along with what you're saying. The amount of enthusiasm in New York is now off the charts for the Jets. And I assume that the Baltimore fans also feel 
really well they feel a lot better than they did a oh, week yeah. ago yeah 100 percent. and i think the like my takeaway is that the nfl in the nfl the quarterback position is so important that it might be it's debatable as to whether it's a better move to take a quarterback who has a one in 10 chance at being a pro bowler or super bowl caliber quarterback one day over a running back who has eight out of 10 chance of being a pro bowler in year one because that position is that important to winning and to winning Super Bowls. And that's how teams are making decisions. And so that that's just fascinating to me. And I love watching the rookie quarterbacks. That though is they also make that decision to give the Derek Carrs of the world and the Kyler Murrays of the world 40 or 45 or $35 million a year, right? And I think that yeah. that's the part where it kind of falls apart. I think Kyler Murray was one of the top might still be one of the top five highest paid quarterbacks in the league, right? Yep, he is. I don't think anyone wants Kyler Murray as their as their quarterback. And so that's the disconnect. It's like the worst thing you can do is not, it may not even be the quarterback bust, the Sam Darnold kind of bust, right? It might be the guy that's just good enough to get you to nine and seven. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, I do think there's something to say for, in a league where that rewards losers, it's much better to be a big loser in the NFL than it is to be a perennial 500 team because that that gives you a better shot at being a Super Bowl caliber team eventually. And I think that a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars has recently seen the benefits of being so bad for such a long time. I think that the Cincinnati Bengals, well, I mean, that's the, probably the clearest example, getting a guy like Joe Burrow getting a guy like Jamar Chase, all of a sudden, they're zero to hero. Had they had a couple 500 seasons in there, instead of Joe Burrow, it would be some mid-level quarterback. Instead of Jamar Chase, it would be some average wide receiver, and that team would still be stuck in NFL purgatory. And so I think that I don't think it's going for a boomer bust quarterback. I don't think my personal take is it's not as bad of a move as people think. Like I know a lot of people who hated on the Anthony Richardson draft, including my family members. Cause I you watch Georgia games. I'm like this guy's terrible. All he does is throw interceptions. And I'm sitting there like, you take a guy like that, you put him in a system like the Eagles, try to simplify the game for him, leverage his athleticism. Maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. I think he could be an elite tight end, Mike. I think he could switch positions and salvage that. An athlete that impressive, there's got to be a way to make him useful on the football field. Same with like Justin Fields. I've always felt like, ah, he could play running back and he'd be one of the top top 10 running backs. I feel like there's something in here about Georgia fans thinking Florida quarterbacks should just play tight end. I feel like there's... (laughs) No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I draft him as quarterback, okay? And if it doesn't pan out, you can salvage the pick. You can get, you still get a decent player out of it. It's not all a loss. Or you get a total bust and you're number one again next year. And you go take who's number one next year, whoever that guy ends up being. And so it's just like, I mean, I would rather be in that position than draft a guy that's like Tannehill is who I was talking about, Will Levis reminding me of. I don't want a guy like Tannehill. I don't want to get a mid first round, late first round guy who's going to throw a couple more touchdowns and interceptions, get my team maybe barely into the playoffs every other year. 
and never be competitive for what really matters. I would that, rather have a total bust. I'd rather have the worst case scenario, Anthony Richardson, than think, a Tannehill. I mean, I don't think you're wrong because, again, it's that difference between paying a guy $5 million at the tail end of paying a guy $5 million for five years yeah. versus to pay these guys, pay a guy 45, 50. Joe Burrow, the first, Joe Burrow, the first half billion dollar contract. Per right. Coming down the pike. But I don't think you're wrong. I mean, and there probably is, it, it's probably one of these things where, you know, the math says you should never punt, right? Or the math says that you should go for you, two. Go for two. The reality is, you these guys probably should take more quarterbacks and draft more quarterbacks and especially draft more, let's say, physical specimens, right? At right. The, back position and just see what works out right more competition at that position yeah so i'm not as i'm not as down on it as some other folks can we talk about i mean i touched on the falcons for a second i think that the fandom response in the state of georgia to the falcons taking Bijan robinson who by the way at one point i believe was favored to go to georgia a huge recruit ended up going to texas had a phenomenal career. One of the best running backs since, I think, since Saquon Barkley, really, on the college level. And the Falcons take him over Jalen Carter, a Georgia guy who won two national championships, who had some very concerning off-the-field issues in the eyes of a lot of managers in professional sports. And well, Falcons fans seems are... Like concerns kind of coming into play now too like whispering kind of background what's that with carter it sounds like there's almost more like whispering in the background too that he was difficult at georgia or couldn't stay in shape these kind of things right right and you know, i've, I've heard more positive things from folks at georgia in regards to jalen carter and i do think he's in a perfect situation in philadelphia with his old teammates but that aside, I think that the fandom, like my fandom observations of the draft, one of the biggest takeaways was like, if you have a local college team and you pass on their stars for players mm -hmm. that might even be better for your team, who knows? And if it happens over and over again, you're going to be under a microscope. And if those guys bust, you are, it is off with your head. If they pan out, if Bijan Robinson's NFL MVP in two years, I think Falcons fans forget that, but I've heard more talk of I'm going to become an Eagles fan. I'm switching teams. I am because I'm sick of the team that I pull for not picking the players from the team that I love and instead picking players that end up performing worse than those guys do anyway. And so it feels like a lose for those fans. And I've seen, I know the the Eagles posted like their, I think it's still their header on Twitter is like the Phila Georgia Bull Eagles and all this like all this content surrounding Georgia and Philadelphia and the connection between those two. Now that so many players were drafted by the Eagles in the last two years, but I'm not. Go it ahead. hasn't been a long time thing with the Georgia faithful and the, the Falcons. And the Falcons never take the Georgia players. And again. The Falcons don't have this. They've been hanging a lot of banners in the rafters, if if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. and, and so I think it does end up being, I mean, like I've always, as an outsider to the UGA Falcons kind of 
back and forth between the fandoms. I, I When I hear the stuff you're talking about, part of me goes, these Georgia fans are one of the top <laughs> fan bases in all of America to the point where they're just a little bit crazy. And so yeah. I don't know if there's something in the Falcons history where they go, where they stay clear of Georgia players or they prefer not to take Georgia players. I mean, when you're going through the Falcons draft, it's an interesting one, right? Where they seem like they're going to roll the dice on this third round pick, right? And they're going to build up the offensive talent around that third round pick. Yeah. That's an unusual strategy in the NFL. It might be a smart one because the you may have more of a cost controlled quarterback for the longer ter- for the longer term. I don't know. I mean, the only Georgia players that seems like they've gone through the Falcons over the last few years were, well, didn't Todd Gurley have a cup of yeah, coffee? Yeah, he had a year. I mean, the deal with Gurley was when he was when he was in the NFL draft, every Georgia fan wanted the Falcons to take him. They loved Todd Gurley, and they were ready to buy the jersey. And the Falcons, he was on the board when the Falcons picked, and they passed on him. I don't know who for, but I know it wasn't someone that became an NFL MVP. And Todd Gurley did in St. Louis, now the Los Angeles Rams, and became a legend. And by the time the Falcons got around, so they passed on him on a rookie contract, MVP caliber player on a rookie contract. And then when he was toward the end of his career, and he has arthritis in his knees, and he's dinged up all the time, they paid him more than than his rookie contract was for a much lesser player. And so I don't think Falcons fans were super thrilled about that move, even though it was a Georgia guy. It was like, okay, now we get the guy, now we pay him, but his best days are behind him. And so that's kind of been an ongoing story. Like I, when I was a student at Georgia, it was every year, everybody wanted the Falcons to take whoever it was. And like, there's two sides to it. On the one hand, as a sports fan, like I'm a Giants fan. And when I look at the draft, like if the Giants had taken Stetson Bennett in the second round, I would have been like, what are we doing? Like that was not a good move. Like I genuinely, I care about the Giants enough to just want them to take the best player available at any given point. And the Falcons fandom is a little different though, because they're like, Georgia really comes first for them. Like I I know what you're, I know what you're getting at, and it's almost a, it's an interesting question, right? To how much of that transfers, right? I mean, because my understanding is that there's been a surge in jet season ticket purchases with Aaron Rodgers coming in, and yeah. so is there an actual surge if the Falcons were to take UGA players? I think I, there would be. I mean, I, I don't know if they pick Jalen Carter, maybe a little bit. I think what's interesting about the Falcons Georgia story. It's not sort of what happens in any given year. It seems to be that there's a long-term history of this. And that's the part that gets a little bit that gets a little bit weird, right? I'm not like a conspiracy guy that thinks that oh the Falcons hate Georgia players, which is that is the narrative on Georgia Twitter. The Falcons hate Georgia players and they refuse to take them even when they're clearly and obviously the best available. You could have Jalen Carter fall to you in the 7th round and they still wouldn't take him. That's the narrative. Well, but Doug, here's an alternative. And again, this doesn't really make a lot of sense either, right? Because the idea of not taking the best player doesn't make sense for your career as an NFL executive. But could it almost be that the Falcons just are annoyed by Georgia football? They're the <laughs> NFL team. And they probably have – maybe the fan bases are about the same size, depending on how you want to measure it. But I don't think they have the level of intensity that Georgia has. No. 
maybe that's an annoying thing that just sort of almost comes into the background in their decision-making, right? It's not a conscious thing, right? Because they do want the Georgia fans, but it's just a nuisance. And yeah. I'll tell you, let me give you one other fact. In, yep. in, the state of, in the city of Chicago, the University of Illinois is not a competitive draw against the Chicago Bears, okay? It's a very yeah. different. It's probably very unusual for an NFL team. might be the yeah. only team. My, my one other thought about like a subconscious bias would be that they hear about Georgia all the time. They see these guys every week and they convince themselves that just because we see them all the time doesn't mean that they're better than the players we don't see as much. And then they overcorrect for that, wanting to not bias themselves toward the local team and they overcorrect. That's like one other explanation. But on the flip side, I have noticed that the Philadelphia Eagles, they love to take national champions because people talk about them being the Georgia Eagles or whatever. Their offense has like five Alabama players on it. They have their quarterbacks, Alabama, Devontae Smith's Alabama, got an offensive lineman, Alabama. Like they, they got an Alabama offense, Georgia defense. I genuinely think it's not a terrible idea when in doubt in the draft to take the best player from the best team that's on the board and try to build a team of guys that have won championships, that know what it takes, that have been in those huge programs. I think that's what the Eagles are doing. I respect it. I'm very curious to see how it pays off because you look at the NFL, when you're watching a game and all the guys are saying, I'm so-and-so and I played at so-and-so, almost 90% of them played at some school you've never heard of. Doug, if I'm thinking back to watching the college football playoffs the last couple of years, yeah, I think it's entirely reasonable to adopt a strategy of, I'm going to just pick players from Georgia and Alabama yeah, like, and not from Michigan and TCU. Like, I'm, yeah, w- when in doubt, take the guy that dominated but, against the other top four team every time. I mean, that seems to be what the Eagles are legitimately doing. And it seems like, why aren't more teams doing this? These guys have proven that they're elite. But on the flip side, you can look at those guys and say, well, they look better because of the talent that's around them. They look better because they're just on a better team than TCU. It's easy to dominate your guy. It's easy to run for eight yards when your offensive line is making these massive holes every play. So there's two sides to that. And when Trent Richardson busted at Alabama, everybody was like, well, the reason he looks so good and won the Heisman is because he had such a great offensive line. And in college, you don't have gaping holes and you don't play Fresno State at home at noon in in 90-degree weather in Tuscaloosa and put in the second string by the second quarter. It's a different ball game when you're playing equal competition. What it is kind of Doug in some ways. And look, you see this everywhere. You see this in the corporate world when big consulting companies and investment banks want to go hire someone, where do they go hire them? Right. They go hire them from Harvard or Chicago or Stanford. Right. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the same sort of logic. Like it's like, you've got people that have been pre-screened, because to me, that's kind of an interesting thing about it. It's like, you got an Alabama player. Well, they were pre-screened by Nick Saban. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes you you can do your due diligence, but it's like, that's a big check mark that you're probably not going to make too bad of a mistake. So. Well, yeah, it's like Nick Saban handpicked this guy and then developed him. And, and he's then, practicing against 40 pros. Yeah, he's playing against an NFL defense or offense every day. And he's outperforming them. He's one of the stars. He's one of the the shining lights on a team that's full of stars. And so, and I think about, I mean, 
just I talk about Georgia so much because I know Georgia. Tyke Smith, he's on the Georgia defense. He was an All-American at West Virginia two years ago. All-American. Transfers to Georgia. Everyone's thinking this guy's going to be the star. He's going to be he's going to be the shining star on the defense, bringing in this All-American. We've got this weak secondary. And he's hardly played, Mike, in two years. All-American at West Virginia, hardly plays at Georgia. I actually don't think he helped his draft stock by transferring to the school where it's like, oh, now he can get the Harvard degree instead of the other school's degree. But I, I don't think, and he might start this year, and I hope he does for that kid's sake. Like he's, I think everybody's pulling for him in that fan base because it's tough to see that. But with that said, it just goes to show you could look like a first round, you could look like an all American talent playing in a league that's lesser and playing with surrounding talent that's lesser. But when you are a star on a team, that is manhandling everybody, and you're one of the players that stands out on that team. Like to me, it seems like those guys should be targeted higher. And it's kind of amazing to me that they're not. And I think that the Eagles, I thought they got some steals. Jalen Carter, that was a good value in a lot of people's eyes. I think the bigger steal was Nolan Smith in the at the end of the first round. He's a guy that had he been healthy, I thought he was going to be a top 10 pick. I thought any it's not an injury that's going to affect him, I don't think, in his career. And so I think that's strategy. I think it's smart. And I'm just very curious to see how that goes. But it's it was just so funny how obvious it was that I don't think it was a coincidence that they ended up with all these Georgia guys. Like statistically, the odds of that are pretty tiny. You look at the number of players drafted, the number of players from Georgia's, they they clearly have a bias toward players on these great teams, players that have played under in systems that are very NFL. I'm excited to see. I'm also excited to see those Alabama and Georgia guys team up because that's kind of become, it's not really officially a rivalry, but it feels like more times than not the national championship and or SEC championship comes down to those two teams and they kind of hate each other. And I made a comment during the draft this weekend. I was like, man, it would be way more exciting than a flag football pro bowl game would be if they just had a full pads, Alabama, Georgia game every year, Alabama, Georgia alumni game. All the NFL guys from those two schools put or do a college football playoff NFL version, get Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama. I don't know what that fourth team's going to be. I know LSU's got a lot of guys. Clemson's got some guys. In the future, USC's going to have some guys. But, but I think fans would get fired. I think that would be bigger than the Super Bowl, watching your former college players play each other in full pads and compete for school pride. Okay. Another NFL draft in the books. One of the look in some ways, even though I'm saying it does feel a little bit sort of forced moments, it is always going to be one of my sort of touchstones in the world of sports because it's it's just this special. Look, I mean, Doug, your enthusiasm for Georgia comes through a lot, but the NFL draft is definitely one of the one of the high points for that, right? Because you have this relationship with these guys. You want to see them succeed. Your fandom transfers to Philadelphia for other fans. This is all about hope. It ends up being this kind of truly special event. I just kind of hope at this point that the NFL doesn't sort of just overly commercialize it and kind of end up killing it. Okay, Doug, the other thing that's going on is, of course, the NBA playoffs. Playoff TV ratings seem to be up a little bit. I got mixed feelings. I tend to really like the first couple of rounds of the NBA playoffs because this seems to be the we're seeing the next shining star start to break through. I don't feel like we got that this year. It's, this is kind of like the 
I, I don't know. There's probably some Star Wars analogy to this. This is the this is LeBron and Steph, right? So it's far. like when they yeah, it's like if they did a show with like old man Luke Skywalker and old man, even older man Ben Kenobi. It's like woo, <laughs> this is exciting. No, I think that. I think Anthony Edwards had his moment. I talked about that on another podcast, but largely this was or has been kind of a legacy. I love some pictures. I'm not convinced on that. I love the idea that he's Michael Jordan's son, and I'm not going to dismiss it because I love that kind of stuff. I was looking at those pictures. I'm not convinced. Yeah, I got kind of called out on social media. Some people saying the only things that those two have in common and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I think they look alike. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, he had his moment. But largely, it's been a legacy playoff couple of rounds so far. And I will say, I personally expect this Warriors-Lakers series to get better ratings than the finals, period. Because last night at my house... Several people watching that game who have not watched basketball all year. Of course, it was a good game. It was a really good game. It had a lot of great moments. It's two teams that it's really like genuinely, I think it's an interesting matchup because the Lakers are a little bit scrap. They're just a scrappy defense, not a three ball team, but they got like they dominate in the paint. They've got they're powerful and the Warriors are more of a finesse team. They're more traditional. They're moving the basketball. Like it's more poetry with them and it's more like rap (laughs) with the Lakers. And I think that the star power with LeBron James and Steph Curry and the fact that those two have played each other in finals so many times is bringing so many eyeballs to the, to the series for a second. I mean, would you have any pushback if I said they may not be the two best players in the league. They are the two biggest stars in the league. Yeah. No, I think that's true. And I don't think you throw out Giannis and Kevin Durant in terms of mass media fandom. I think those guys are number one and number two. And I don't even think number three is all that close when you really start to get to, let's say, middle America, that it's Mm -hmm. Steph Curry. And then it's a big jump down to Kevin Durant, I suspect. Yeah. Speaking of Kevin Durant, Suns down 2-0 in the second round. That's, I mean, if the Suns don't do it this year, it's going to be the biggest disappointment since the Nets. And the common denominator of those teams is Kevin Durant. And so the pressure's on in in Phoenix, I think. But I think that the 76ers, you know, that Boston-Philly series, is that's two classic franchises, two great fan bases, a really tight game one. And some veterans, not maybe not the stars of the caliber that LeBron James and Steph Curry are, but it is a series featuring James Harden, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum. It, it is a really good series. Two great franchises, teams that have played each other in the playoffs before. And what feels like an Eastern Conference Finals, much like how the Lakers-Warriors C- series feels like a Western Conference Finals, although... This is the second round. There's still another round before the NBA Finals. And people forget about teams like Denver, teams like Miami. The lesser star-studded teams, they get written off real quick. And that's why it feels like everyone's just agreed that this Lakers-Warriors series is the de facto Western Conference Finals and that this Boston-Philly series is the de facto Eastern Conference Finals. Mike, how does that make you feel? I'm all about Denver. All about Denver. Jokic. I want Jokic out there. I want something new. 
and I want a new look. I maybe that's my thing in the NBA. I, I always want something new. And Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Have the Denver Nuggets ever been to a finals? Not the mellow, not in my lifetime. Because those best teams were Carmelo Anthony. And they did not make yeah, it very far. I suspect they haven't then. Because I'm like thinking back to like the 80s. And every once in a while, Denver has a nice basketball team. But yeah. I don't think they ever sort of had those iconic guys that, that got things over the top. So, yeah, I'm doubling down I mean, on I mean, uh, <laughs> Jokic is a true generational player. In this. He's just so unique. Like, I don't think basketball's ever had a player like him. And I don't know that basketball ever will. I mean, it. I could see future big men learning from him and becoming more developed in terms of passing, in terms of their three-point shooting. I mean, we're already seeing that with three-point shooting. It's really the passing that separates him from the rest. And we haven't seen that. So to to be a guy that's revolutionizing the game, I think it would be great for basketball. I do. Out of the Western Conference with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and LeBron, LeBron James, Jokic, and the Denver Nuggets – I mean, look, I think I'm rooting for – I don't know. He's probably second in the MVP voting this year or is yeah. going to be second. Yeah. They haven't done. But this is a complete mar- like marketing underdog. I'm rooting oh, for this one. Yeah, and I think that the <laughs> the NBA community might not welcome that as much. That's why I'm saying I think that this Warriors-Lakers series will have better ratings than the finals because the finals, it's still in play to have Miami versus Denver. To have, I mean, there's a number of scenarios Mike would be very happy about that, as would I, but that's still in play. And I would imagine that would not get the kind of ratings that Warriors, Lakers are getting right now. I was going to say, Mike, in sports, like in retrospect, it always feels like, how do we not predict that? Because that was just such a storybook story that played out. And the way I see it, going down is I think the winner of this Warriors Lakers series, I think it's their last dance. I think uh because they're low they're seated low. It's like a six and a seven seed. Imagine a seven seed LeBron and you're at age thirty eight going and winning the NBA finals. Can't you see that documentary already? And wasn't there something that came out? I think LeBron this is the first year LeBron had zero votes for the MVP. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just like it's like the writing is almost on the wall with that and I can't it's hard to imagine I mean I think it's going to be the Lakers but even if let's say the Warriors win the series the Warriors still have a championship team I mean you it's tough to knock out a champion and if they win this probably Denver in the next round a less glamorous series less eyeballs on it again they're tough to knock out and at the point they're in the finals who are they playing? The Celtics, who they beat pretty handily last year, or Miami, or Philly, who hasn't been there with this squad. And so it's like, I really see it playing out. It's the last dance for LeBron or Steph Curry, and I think it's kind of not to always be making Star Wars references. I think it's Duel of the Fates right now. I think it's Duel of the Fates in that series where, you know, who, whoever wins the duel is the they're the one that that goes all the way. And so that's how I see it playing out. But I'm like you, Mike, I don't want it to be like this predictable story. That would be a movie. I want it. I want chaos. I want to see, I want Miami versus, I want Miami versus Denver in the NBA finals with radio. I want 5,000 people watching it every night. And funny about (laughs) Miami is a strange franchise in some ways, because I don't think we tend to put them in that, they do well in my fan base rankings when I do the NBA. It's like we tend to forget about 
Miami, but Miami really has kind of an interesting history, right? With Shaq and yeah. and Dwayne Wade and, yeah. and Ron, and even was a couple of years ago, Miami with almost a no name roster. Was it in the bubble that Miami they made? made it yeah, they made the finals to the finals. Yeah, which and that could be a rematch. We could yeah. see Lakers Heat finals again. I mean, I'm like looking at the bracket, and yeah, I mean that classic. I mean, if it's LeBron's kind of last, if it is the last dance kind of storyline, if there is a conspiracy, then it's got to be LeBron versus the Boston Celtics in the finals, right? Lake, Lakers Celtics. Yeah, that would be the most. That would feel so forced. Like neither of those teams have felt like Destiny's team. <laughs> it would feel so forced. I remember thinking it felt forced when it was Kobe's Lakers against Kevin Garnett's Celtics in I mean, the that, finals. From my perspective, what would be the most fascinating would be from a fandom, pure fandom perspective, would be Denver versus the New York Knicks. Oh, I forgot about the Knicks. <laughs> the long I mean, the- Knicks fans. <laughs> Without a lot of marquee level names on that team, that would be spectacular to see. That I mean, the way the Knicks fans would come out of the woodwork for their team being in the finals, and then playing, you know, Denver and Jokic, that'd be spectacular. Yeah, I think that Hawks series did some damage to the Knicks a couple years back because they were starting to come out of the woodworks. People were starting to get excited about the Knicks again, and they lost that series to Trey Young. I haven't heard a peep about the Knicks, even this playoffs, and they made it out of the first round, just kind of going under the radar. But we'd love to see that. I don't expect that to happen. Like I said, I'm expecting Lakers or Warriors in the West and then the East. I still think it's Boston. So, I mean, you could really easily see that Lakers-Celtics rivalry making a comeback in the finals once again for like the 100th time. For the NBA marketers... That is probably exactly what they need. Yeah, I, mean, I think having Le- I think not having LeBron in the finals for a couple years has probably taken some eyeballs off of the NBA. Frankly, Here, let me ask you a question because Jason Tatum is a guy that they're almost trying to move him up into that upper echelon. And I'm not talking about as a basketball player. I'm talking as like a star. As a star, yeah. They start. They've tried to move him up. I see him on Subway commercials. I see him on, I think, bags of Ruffles or Lay's potato chips. So he has the marquee marketing deals. Has he started to cross over with the younger? Has he started to establish himself as a true star, an iconic star for the younger generation? Because I like I would put him below folks like John Morant in terms of Damian Lillard or yeah. Yeah, I think that he's like a Gen Z star. Like, because he's a younger dude. He's, I mean, he's still, I know he's been in the league for a while. He's still pretty young. And I think the marketing efforts have probably struck more of a chord. Let me ask a question. Let me ask the question a little bit different. Okay. So, be like Mike, classic marketing campaign. Does anyone want to be like Tatum? (laughs) They still want to be Steph Curry. They still want to be LeBron. He hasn't risen to that level. And, a championship would not hurt. He's had his chances. I mean, the Celtics have had their chances, and they have not. I remember when Phoenix made the finals and wanting Devin Booker to become one of those guys because he's been on that. I mean, he's kind of on par with Jason Tatum where he's a really good basketball player, and he's in that younger generation, but it's never felt like this guy's going to totally take over the league. And 
the only player that's really felt like that is Luka Doncic as far as those younger players. And Luka's a guy that's not even in the playoffs. So of the guys on good teams, it's really, I mean, you could include John Morant, but it's really Devin Booker and Jason Tatum. And both of them have made the finals and both of them more or less disappeared for a good chunk of their time in the finals. And their teams did not put up the kind of fight you would want to see, the kind of fight that would cement them as one of those like NBA alpha stars. Because the NBA has always had star tiers. Like there's a major difference between that kind of first first team all NBA and some of those second team guys. I think, the- I think it's almost the first half of the all NBA team versus the second half of it. Yeah. I mean, you watch, like I was saying, you watch Team USA some of the best Team USA teams, you look at the roster, and half of the guys, it's like Michael Red was on that team, like JaVale McGee, or like you know, just guys on the team that kind of shock you. There's really only a handful of like A-list stars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think Booker and Tatum, they just, they got to do it in the playoffs. They got to get their team over the hump. They got to win a finals. I think the odds are against both of them this year. Boston, maybe not as much. I mean, on paper, Phoenix should be the favorites with what they... I mean, take Chris Paul out of the equation. He's hurt right now, but take him out of the equation. Even without Chris Paul, you got a team with Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton at center. I mean, their roster is unbelievable. If they don't make the Western Conference Finals, I do think that's going to be one of the biggest failures. I mean, like I said, the only thing that compares is the Nets. So I think it's a legacy moment for Duran. I think that his reputation, as much as it's taken a hit, I don't know that he's ever coming back from this if they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals. Okay, Doug, I think I'm going to call the episode at this point. A lot to look forward to this summer. We're going to sl- – now Now that I'm – look, my day job is a college professor. Now that I'm done grading, grades are in. Uh, <laughs> no complaints to be dealt with. I've started seeing a little bit of freedom. We will start to get into our summer programming, which is going to include the Next Generation Fandom Study, the NFL Team Fan Equity Rankings. And the other thing we've been talking a little bit about, you and I, is this idea of like five minutes of education or 10 minutes of education. So a quick topic, kind of an academic or professional topic, sort of blast it out there in in like – 10 minutes or less. So all that's on the agenda sort of coming up here very rapidly. If you want to check out the webpage, it's at www.fandomanalytics.com.